Hello and welcome to the Indie Circle podcast. Today we're going to be talking with the developers of a game called Ready Set Goat, which is a mobile game. So uh, I'm really excited to talk with them and learn a bit more about the mobile game market because it's very different from anything that uh, we've been working on 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 PC, which I I think is probably what most people listening to this uh, are uh, working on at the moment. But in any case, should be very insightful and pretty interesting. So let's uh, hop on into the interview. All right. So my first question to you guys is, can you both introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jimmy Tyrell. I'm um, one half of Subpixel and uh, got my start in video game development back when I was a teenager, uh, released my first indie game um, when I was still in high school. And then kind of took a career trajectory that was in and out of game development. Um, started working in kind of software as a service and enterprise software as well. Uh, and then decided to kind of put all that aside and go back to my original passion, which is indie game development. And so um, started the company Subpixel with uh, Eric here. And I'm Eric. And uh, yeah, Jimmy and I met actually over 10 years ago now working at a small startup called Playdom that was a social games company in the early days of Facebook games and mobile games. Um, and we worked there together for a couple of years on some different games. Um, the company got acquired by Disney Interactive, so we ended up working on some Disney-themed games. Um, and then uh, we, Jimmy founded a company that was in the sort of a different space, software as a service, and we both worked there for a couple of years, and then we decided we wanted to get back into games. So we've been kind of doing software development for about 10 years, but now just getting back into games. Um, and Jimmy's really the brains behind the operation. He does all the hard work. I'm the uh, product manager and game designer, so I, I take all the credit. That's kind of how we divide the, the labor. Nice. So you briefly mentioned, uh, so you, you've been doing kind of, uh, not necessarily dabbling. I mean, you've been in and out of the, the game industry for quite some time. Um, what were some of the first kind of games that you guys each worked on or, or made? Yeah, the, the first game that I made uh, was, was my indie game called Hacker, um, which was a hacking simulator. And it was based on, I don't know, you guys probably don't know this game called like Dope Wars or Drug Wars. It was a game that you'd play on like a TI-85 calculator. Have you have you ever heard of that? Yeah, that nope. sounds really familiar. <laughs> okay, it was like it's it was a really simple game, um, and the concept was that you um, are just a, you're a drug lord and you're trying to sell drugs at when the prices are high. It's kind of like a virtual stock market, really. Um, but anyways, I had the idea to convert that over to hacking a hacking simulation. So, trying to find vulnerabilities in different systems and um, and servers and. Um, and then once you find them, trying to steal money from them and just trying to optimize every day, like how much money you could steal from these organizations. Um, so that was kind of my my first uh, dip into video game development. And I released that and it um, it got some attention, like uh, it got a couple million downloads that I was I was really happy with mm. and kind of realized, like, OK, this is um, a future career for me. Um, and then since then, yeah, I've done. Uh, mobile and social games mostly, so they're more like RTS um, type games for mobile. Um, and uh, and now we've done Ready Set Goat, which is kind of a arcade action simplistic game. Um, and we have some some new stuff that we're working on um, in the horizon. That's that's great to hear. I mean, you know, it's always interesting to hear how people get into the video game industry so i gotta ask uh what has been your favorite part about for the both of you about game development 
Yeah, Eric, you want to start that one? Sure, yeah. It's a lot more fun to think about and test and bring in front of an audience than other types of software. I think the the appeal of any software development for me is just you know making something from scratch and being able to sort of get it in front of people. Um, we worked for over five years on an HR tech software, which you know had its pros and cons, but it's just really not the you know kind of thing you want to spend your whole weekend thinking about. So um, you know I love games. I grew up playing games. I still spend hours every day playing video games. So being able to sort of think about well what could we make and what could we get in front of people is what appeals to me. It's probably true for a lot of game developers, but um, it's, you know, it's just kind of the the um, the prospect of being able to kind of create anything and bring people into those worlds that you create is is really appealing. Yeah, yeah, there's... I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, yeah, something something very special about making something interactive that people can actually use and <laughs> interact with. It's it's yeah, it's, it's totally different from any other medium. It's weird. You know, yeah, I. Uh... There's just something about it, like seeing people playing what you've made. It's just an interesting thing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, could you tell us a little bit about your current game, which is kind of why you're you're here in the first place? Ready, set, go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. I can. I can do that one. Um, so, ready, set, go um, started with a different name, and it was uh, basically done um, as a game jam, and it was just a, a three-day game jam. Um, to make uh, a one-button game. And I've always been kind of fascinated by one-button games and trying to figure out like how complex and fun can you make a game with just one button. Um, so I've always kind of been, I mean, probably for the past 10 years, I've just been thinking about like what would my version of a one-button game look like. Um, and so I never actually, you know, tried to, to actually put code uh, on the screen to make that happen. But then this game jam happened, and I and I figured out um, I'd actually join in uh, and do it. And so um, yeah, I was just trying to make a game that with one button had some strategy, um, some uh, some complexity, something that you could actually get better at over time. Um, and I was kind of comparing it to other one button games like Flappy Bird or um, a lot of these runner games, and a lot of them kind of lacked uh, a depth um, that that I thought could be there. And I thought that if I added that depth to a game, that players, even players who haven't really played a lot of games and haven't played a lot of deep games, would kind of um, uh, experience it in a really good way and, and enjoy it uh, in a way that they haven't before in a mobile game. So um, that was my goal with Ready, Set, Goat. Uh, and so we did the game jam, uh, knocked out the main, the core mechanics in like three days. Uh, and I showed it off to a bunch of friends and everybody was saying like, hey, this is actually pretty fun. So. Uh, decided to continue with it and, and figured I would release it on mobile. But before I could do that, I needed to add art, I needed to add sound, I wanted to add leaderboards. So it took a couple more months of, of adding all the extra stuff into the game to make it like a full game besides just like some uh, mechanics and a prototype. Um, and yeah, we've uh, we've gotten good reception on it. So I think the initial hypothesis was true that just like adding um, some depth and strategy to a one button game it's something that actually appeals to a wide audience. And if you kind of get over the first hump, the first learning curve of a game like Ready, Set, Go, it becomes super addictive, even to people who aren't strictly, you know, hardcore gamers. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, so I also have to ask, where did the inspiration for, you know, the GOAT, like, stomping on these 
monster type creatures where did that come from like i feel like it's that's crazy. really interesting that i like to find out yeah so have you have you seen these memes of goats running around they're on like youtube and they they do park like parkour and they jump off of their friends and they're jumping off of all sorts of things yeah, kind of yeah. indiscriminately <laughs> so when i made the prototype i was just like you know racking my my brain over trying to figure out like what could the they were originally the prototype was just squares on the screen and it was fun but it needed to be more visual so and i was just like looking at these squares jumping around and at one point i just realized like how much they looked like little goats hopping around like from these parkour videos that i've seen and then it sort of all clicked and i and it, the the thing was i um immediately like it all kind of came together i was like goats goat art and I had the words ready, set, go in the game. And I was like, oh my God, that could be ready, oh. set, go. And then I, I do a who is search to see if the domain is taken on readysetgo.com. And it's like, it's going to be free in February, which was when we were going to launch. So I was like, okay, if, like, if I can just get this domain, you know, I can go with this branding. I have this artwork. So I'll just I'll put all of my time and investment into making ready, set, go and hope that I get the domain. Fair enough, I was able to get the domain. So it all kind of came together at the end. Um, and it's a it's a pretty cool brand for I, I feel like for such a small indie game. Yeah, really yeah. distinct. I love it. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, no, it was that was something that uh, <laughs> that did kind of stand out to me. I because I you know I, I downloaded it. I played it for a while, um, probably longer than I'd like to admit, or or maybe I should yeah. admit it since you guys made it. I played yeah, it for like an hour, hour, two hours, and then yeah. I decided oh, yeah. I decided if I was going to play it for much longer, I would. I, I would be addicted and I was like no this is just going to hamper my my productivity I, I can't I can't it's it's great but I can't do this anymore yeah so we've heard others um, say that too yeah <laughs> so I think that's uh the perfect mark to hit um and that's something that I do want to go into yeah a we bit were kind of uh, oh a yeah sure point. but um, I was gonna just say okay yeah, go, yeah we, were, go ahead. we were inspired a little bit by kind of the some existing um kind of light-hearted and cutesy games um, like I mentioned, Flappy Bird or um, even like Angry Birds or Tiny Wings. Like there are all these like kind of cute characters. And I definitely wanted to add that to a game. Um, part of it was formulaic because I felt like a, uh, something more lighthearted is going to get more attention on the app stores out there. Yeah. Um, but also just something, you know, if I'm working on it and looking at it all day, I don't want it to be like dark or, or gory or anything like that. I want to be happy about it, you know. Yeah, that's that's a that's a way to um, to think of it that I that I personally haven't really approached, but I do like that. And I th feel like that uh, definitely, you know, is going to help or has helped uh, and really applies in the app store spaces where you have a, a full, you know, wide, wide range of, of different players and different people on those platforms. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's probably been really great for it so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the other inspirations for the game is kind of from an unlikely source, but in our sort of when we're just, you know, playing games and having fun, Jimmy and I tend to play more of the sort of like shooter type games uh, like Jimmy grew up playing a ton of Counter-Strike. Um, and nowadays we'll play games like Apex Legends and things like that. Um, and one of the one game that we played a few years ago is a game called Devil Daggers, which is a uh, game where it, it's kind of like lo-fi, but it's a shooter. And there's this script of enemies that just pops up in a pretty small arena. 
and you just have to survive as long as you can. Um, and the enemies get progressively harder and harder and harder. Um, and the longer you survive, you sort of put up a high score. But it's kind of this, you know, this sort of like lo-fi uh, Quaker Doom style shooter. And um, as weird as it sounds, that inspired this cute goat game because we wanted to create something where you, sure, you're just sort of a goat hopping around, but there is actually a script in the game. It gets progressively harder and harder. You can learn the sequence of enemies and get better and better over time. And ultimately, I think the game actually appeals to pretty competitive people too because at the top end of the leaderboard, you really do have to refine your strategy, figure out how you're going to sort of t tackle different sequences. Um, so it's kind of an interesting aspect of the game that it appeals to people who want you know really super hyper casual gameplay and that want to just kind of kill five minutes but we also have a contingent of people who have spent literally days and days of game time trying to get to the top of the leaderboard and learning every in and out of the strategy so um i, I think we kind of sort of stumbled into a good combination of casual but also really deep um, using that inspiration from devil daggers yeah, that's that's great. I mean, you, you really, I think, cracked code with that. I don't. Uh, I do have a question regarding the leaderboard, though. What's the most shocking score? Like, what? When, when did you know that these people are like trying hard to like top each other? Yeah, I would say for me, you know, our, one of our friends, one of our close friends, got really addicted to the game, and but he's also a gamer. Um, and so he had the highest score. And so th that was like still very shocking and impressive. But then I started noticing other friends of ours who were just trying the game were um, still remaining competitive with that score, which was like, okay, th these people don't even play games most of the time. Some of them are like my family members who are, you know, who um, have never, you know, played a console game or anything. Um, the most shocking though was when we started expanding our audience and just seeing completely random people throw up huge scores. So then we started realizing like, okay, they're not just playing this game because they're our friends or because they like us or whatever. These are complete strangers who are utterly addicted to the game. And the, the most shocking I'll say one was um, this one person, Dan Flay has been on the leaderboard um, for a long time and was number one. And then more recently, somebody beat their score by maybe two or 300 seconds. And they've almost broken the 1,000 second mark, which is, and people ask me, like, what's my personal high score? My personal high score is nowhere near 1,000 seconds. <laughs> so that, to me, is just is crazy. I can't, I can't believe people are spending so much time on something that, that we made. Yeah, and for me, I had seen uh, Jimmy pass like 400 during the development cycle, and I kind of thought that was a cap. I thought nobody would be able to beat that. I mean, Jimmy and I had played this game so much more than anyone else during development that we thought we were pretty good. And then pretty quickly after launch, somebody got to 500, and I thought they must be cheating. I thought they're like, there's no way that somebody got this good. Um, but we went into our analytics system, and we saw, oh, this guy actually played for nine consecutive hours this day. Like... <laughs> No joke, we can Dang. see the logs that he just picked up the game at like 7 a.m. and didn't put it down until after 4 p.m. Oh, and wow. at that point we were like, okay, I guess we have something here and I think this guy's score is legit. <laughs> wow. Man, so, 7 before it's insane. So could you explain real quick how the leaderboard works, like what it what it takes to get on that leaderboard? I don't I don't know if we went into the the, like exactly how the gameplay works, but could you explain to people listening kind of how that uh, 
how that system works, what it takes to get on the leaderboard. Yeah. Yeah, so to get on the leaderboard and ready, set, go, you really just have to play and get a score and, and survive for longer than 10 seconds. So it's super, super simple to get on the leaderboard. But there's so many people with uh, higher scores than that that you'll just be bumped all the way to the bottom and, you know, nobody will ever see your name, sadly. <laughs> so the highest scores bubble up to the top and um, they're done by, uh, we, we took a seasonal approach. So um, every you know couple of months when we change features in the game, we'll reset the leaderboard and we'll call it a different season. Um, and uh, it gives everybody an opportunity to get back on the board with the new gameplay or new features that we've added. Um, but basically it's just your, your high score for that season. That's what goes onto the board. Um, so everybody can see what your high score was. And, and like, as Eric said, we, we totally just like copied that functionality from other um, kind of survivor type games like uh, Devil Daggers and uh, things like that. Um, and so we wanted to kind of give like an old school like arcade approach too, because that's how the, the old arcade machines work. You know, you put your high score on there, you enter in your initials, hopefully nobody ever unplugs the thing. Um, so, so ours, nobody ever unplugs except we uh, reset every season. Okay. Well, nice. 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 Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting approach to that. How has your experience been on the app store, by the way, like getting apps on there and stuff like that? Yeah. As a developer, it, I mean, it went pretty smoothly. I back in when I was doing mobile game development, maybe almost 10 years ago, I just remember there being so many more hurdles to jump through, um, to jump over. And now there's, it, it seemed a little bit easier. Um, we did originally have our leaderboards hosted on those app stores. So Apple hosted a leaderboard and, and Google play hosted a leaderboard. Um, and there was a couple problems with them. I mean, one, they, they don't have too many features. And then uh, two, there was no like cross-pollination of, of the user base. So we moved off of that system recently. So now all of the platforms are merged into one leaderboard, which is uh, what we like. And we show a little icon of uh, what kind of platform you are on next to your name. Um, the only thing that I think we've had trouble with on the app stores, uh, maybe in-app purchases were a little bit um, tough to wrap our heads around because we had never really done anything like that. And it's it's not documented very well. And uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it. And then the other thing is just like, you know, when we think about mobile game development, I was thinking, you know, we publish it and that's it. We're done. We'll move on to the next thing. But we actually got pretty good reception. So we wanted to continue updating it. So now it became... Uh, a practice of like maintaining this thing a little bit more and, and treating it more like a service. And so we had to think about, okay, well, if we upgrade from, if we upgrade users from version 1.0 to 1.1, you know, that's a slow upgrade. So we're going to have users who are on both for like a week. And is our server going to be compatible with both versions for that week? And then when we upgrade to 1.2, we're going to, we might have three different versions out there. So it just kind of became more of a live ops thing. Which is just, uh, you know, we have experience with that totally, but we just, I, I wasn't even prepared for it. So I think that's one thing for a lot of mobile developers to, to know about when they launch their game that like, you know, if there's, a, if there's an audience out there, it kind of becomes a, a bit of a service, which is, which is really fun because um, it, it's very, you know, you get very involved and interactive with your audience. So, Especially if you're doing both iOS and Android, which, which we have, uh, you kind of need to budget a good amount of time for balancing across both of those. The, you know the store interface to faces the um the submission process they're a little bit different um and then of course you're going to end up with people on several different versions on both platforms and sort of handling 
getting everybody up to date and um, and dealing with bugs and stuff. There's just kind of a, a good amount of stuff to, to juggle. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say either platform, iOS or Android, is, is necessarily easier. They both have pros and cons. There's some things that are easier on one, some things that are easier on another. Um, and they are maddeningly not uniform in how they do <laughs> almost anything. Um, but, you know, I guess that's that's kind of just what you got to deal with if you want to get to the biggest audience possible. Yeah, and as a two-person team, I have to say it's, it was probably a lot easier than if it were just a solo developer um, trying to figure all this stuff out. Like launching to two stores and dealing with you know two leaderboards and two sets of in-app purchases, all that stuff Eric was able to, to really kind of take control over. So that just helped me out and just eased the, the burden of uh, managing all that for one person so much. Yeah, so I mean, it definitely sounds like you've you've got a whole different set of problems you know, when you're publishing on mobile platforms as opposed to like PC or, or console or anything. Um, it's just a, a totally different beast. Um, so were these issues, or not necessarily issues, but challenges that you kind of saw uh, going into it or that you were expecting? Or were there any other things that kind of took you off guard? Because um, this, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but this is your first mobile release? Yeah, as an indie studio. As an indie yeah. studio, right. Yeah, we, we had some experience with, with uh, releasing games and game development, but um, our professional experience, it was always with larger teams. And so there's just like really minor things that you kind of take for granted. Um, like for me as a developer and Eric as a, um, as a uh, product manager, you know, we weren't the ones who were, um, you know, creating our App Store accounts and actually releasing the builds on the App Store. Maybe Eric was actually, but it wasn't me. All I knew that is I just need to write code, build a game, give it to somebody else, and they'll do it. And so it's just kind of stuff that you take for granted, and then you know inevitably little things pop up here and there that you have to you have to deal with. Yeah. Yep, I'd agree with that. And at this point, there's you know there's usually pretty good documentation out there on how to do stuff. Um, but it you know it's surprising for such a mainstream thing. You'd think okay, you know, developing an app for Android or for iOS should be pretty mainstream you know there's thousands maybe millions of apps out there um but there's all sorts of little hiccups along the way that sort of surprise you and make you think like wow i can't believe this is really the process that everyone's going through but i guess this is just (laughs) what you got to do um i wouldn't say there's any like major hurdle like oh watch out for this thing um there's just going to be sort of you know 50 different little steps along the way that you have to google okay wait how do i do this thing uh and then you know you sort of find it and move on to the next step and eventually you've got it streamlined um but there definitely is that setup time and you know it's probably true for any multi-platform release um i'm sure if you're doing a release across playstation xbox and pc there's all sorts of um added overhead too so um you know if i'm giving advice to a new developer someone who's never made anything before i'd probably say pick one platform just to start with just to get something out um but you know one, and once you do that then you can decide if multi-platform is worthwhile because it, it really does sort of uh grow your workload exponentially yeah yeah so uh just out of curiosity talking about platforms do you guys ever think that you might port your game over to pc like i feel like even though it is a mobile game it could do pretty well on pc you know? Yeah, we've had a couple people ask us about that, uh, and I think I think you're all right. I think um, putting it on PC because I've played it on PC, like you know, the, the development builds. Um, 
and it's enjoyable. Uh, and I've often thought about like, what would it be like to stream this on Twitch? Would would people, you know, be interested in watching it and kind of cheering me on as a player, you know, to get the highest score? Um, so definitely something that I've thought of. And um, Eric and I are also inter in, very interested in um, kind of Twitch as a platform itself um, and streaming, and have thought about like, what would a uh, Twitch integration with Ready Set Go look like? Is there some sort of multiplayer with version with streamers and viewers? So it's something that's kind of in the back of our minds that we, that we definitely may explore someday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like you do really well in like the competitive space. Like, what if Ready Set Go was an esport? Right. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like that it would fit really well into that. You know, because the leaderboard you mentioned that like people being competitive i think you really got i think you guys really cracked the code when it comes to uh how competitive the game should be and that i feel like that kind of leads to like addiction of the game you know like trying to one-up people so i love it i can't yeah, wait it'd be awesome professional esports teams playing <laughs> that's that's really the dream yeah, yeah. The, the pink jerseys with the goat on it <laughs> I, would, I would love to see that <laughs> yeah and it's a one button game so like I'd love to see the peripherals, like just somebody comes out with a giant like button that is just like a like a ten inch wide circular button, and that's their controller. Yeah. Well, I think we should do a, like a game mat, like uh, DDR or something. Like we should have people actually jumping on goats as the, <laughs> as the competition. Yeah, I would watch it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the kind of live stream people are looking for right there. Exactly. So getting kind of back into the, the mobile specifics, um, what kind of monetization have you guys put into your game? Since it's free to play, but of course you don't make money off of a game that's entirely free um, in most cases. So what kind of monetization have you had to uh, use that's specific to like a mobile platform that you might not see elsewhere? Yeah, I can, I can take that one. Um, we have gone through a bit of an evolution on that. For the initial release, um, the sort of our main goal was just to sort of do this as as practice and get the game out. As Jimmy said, it was done sort of early on, just as a game jam, and uh, then we wanted to get it out and go through the process of doing these mobile releases and sort of work out all those hiccups. So when we first launched back in March, we had no monetization of any kind at all. Um, so you won't be surprised to learn that we did not make any money on it. We didn't, uh, we didn't do any ads. We had no in-app payments. Uh, it was a free game. What we saw from the initial launch of the first couple of months is that we had really crazy retention. Like we saw things like 50% of our installs were still playing daily a month later, just things that we had like never seen in our previous career. Some of that might have been, you know, because it was totally free and so accessible. Um, but at that point, we decided, okay, we want to add in some, um, add in some purchases, and figure out a way to um, see if we could, you know, make some money on it. So we wanted to avoid ads. That was kind of one of the core philosophies. Was just, hey, it sucks when you're playing a mobile game and ads keep popping up left and right. So we thought, hey, let's see if we can figure out a way to make something in-game that people might actually want to buy, something of value. Um, so what we ended up with is a system where you've got a whole bunch of additional art content, so different costumes for the GOAT, different backgrounds for the game, different enemies that you can put into the game. Uh, and we ended up making uh, over 100 different sort of variants like that 
um, some pretty cool stuff, I think at least, pretty pretty quality pixel art. And um, as you play the game, you can unlock some of those, and you can also uh, buy some. You can buy sort of you know random packs, or you can buy specific ones that you want. Um, so it's all cosmetic. There's no pay to win, um, and there's no sort of like you know spam or blocking your playing or anything like that. We went with sort of a completely player friendly approach, and um, and I think you know players seem to like it. I think we've got you know we've seen playtime has gone up. People seem to really like leveling up and pursuing those different skins um and we've had some purchasing as well it's tough to to gain traction in the this, this space we can talk about that more a little bit as well just to you know build a bigger audience um but overall the the approach has been let's just keep this as player friendly as we can give people the option to buy but not um not really be too aggressive about it in terms of like gating your gameplay or forcing you to watch ads or anything like that yeah, that's that's an area that I've always thought would be, or I've always imagined would be tough, you know, in the mobile space is just because uh, you need to get a lot more creative with uh, with how you monetize your, your products and stuff. Um, you know, on PC, you just slap a price tag on it and hope people will pay for it. But when it comes to mobile, I mean, you can't really uh, charge money for a game so much that doesn't really it doesn't typically go over well unless you're an established ip or something but um yeah there's a lot less certainty on mobile for sure because you um you're right i mean in the early days of mobile games premium games worked but it just doesn't work anymore it's really really difficult i mean you have to have to my mind at least you basically have to have an established ip like you have to be rolling out a you know a mario game or a zelda game or something if you want people to pay for it up front um and that is obviously not an option for us we couldn't secure those uh those properties (laughs) unfortunately despite our best efforts um so um so yeah free to play is really the only thing that works on mobile and um and i think if you get a real hit free to play game the upside is probably higher than most indie pc games just because you know the audience is can, can be so big and um there can be a lot of success there but there's really no sh- no certainty you know you can have thousands of installs and make nothing not even a dollar on a free-to-play game um so there's sort of those those pros and cons it is a, it is a real challenge and ultimately it comes down to volume you have to not only monetize but have a ton of users because even the you know the very best monetizing free-to-play games they might only have one or two percent of, of players that actually pay um so you need you know you need a system that's gonna that's gonna convince people to pay and you also need a ton of people just to get that one or two percent on board so that the um, the economy makes sense um so it is definitely a challenge yeah so so could you go into a little bit uh how you go about getting that volume of players because i don't know if on mobile it's more like algorithm based like it's kind of more just about putting out a really good game that just really gains traction just on the store itself or like are you able to run advertisements that uh, get traction or how do you go about growing your user base on mobile yeah i wish i had a good answer for that um (laughs) the short answer is it's very difficult and we haven't figured it out um there are all sorts of ways that you can try to gain traction for an app. Ultimately, the um, the only real tried and true sort of guaranteed source of a ton of traffic is is at least as far as I have experienced is featuring in the app stores, mm-hmm. um, getting getting Apple to put you on sort of one of their you know favorite new games or top games of the month or you know the various things that they do. Um, mm-hmm. 
getting enough traction that you actually pop onto one of their charts um, and then sort of maintaining that so that you, you know, you're consistently at the top of the charts and people can discover you. Um, aside from that, it's very difficult. I mean, there's, you know, there's a ton of mobile games out there. It's a you know problem for all indie developers on all platforms, but there's so much volume now that it's really hard to stand out. So, you know, we've taken sort of the guerrilla marketing approach where we're an independent studio with no funding. So we're not going to be able to, you know, throw a ton of money at ads and just trying to, you know, buy users. So we've done, you know, posts on Reddit, on social media, we try to maintain our Instagram and Twitter accounts. Um, we've done some competitions like uh, an indie gamer showcase that we joined and, and where we were one of the finalists. Um, we go on podcasts like this one, um, any sort of, you know, free, guerrilla marketing that you can um that you can find sort of helps and and you never know what's going to pop um we sort of randomly over the summer uh without any forewarning we got some featuring from apple in europe and um that resulted in several thousand installs to that point we'd had barely a thousand installs just you know from mm -hmm. word of mouth our friends reddit we got thousands of installs from that um featuring in europe but as I said, we had no forewarning, and this was before we had any monetization in the game. So we just kind of cycled through a ton of players. Um, some of them stuck around. A lot of people liked it, but it, you know, the game wasn't ready to actually produce anything for us at that point. So um, you know, going forward, we're kind of just you know continue with the grill marketing, do our best to get the game in front of as many people as we can, cross our fingers and hope that um, we get some featuring via Apple and Google, and um, and that's kind of it. Unless we decide that we want to you know, put a bunch of our own money into paid advertisements, try to work with a publisher. I mean, there are ways to go, but it's all going to sort of, you know, really impact your, your finances. Um, so anyway, short answer is we don't know. We would love for you to tell us how to get our game out there. By the way, just to illustrate how scrappy you have to get with the guerrilla marketing side of things for game, any kind of game development, but also mobile game development. Um, one of the things that Eric has done or has been doing is he'll actually go to Twitter and search for tweets of people asking like recommendations for mobile games and will respond to these <laughs> these strangers with hey we made a game called ready set go click here to download it and it's kind of funny just to see like the types of interactions with strangers he has because some people are just like who who are you how did you find this tweet <laughs> and other people will be like cool thanks um but yeah you just kind of i mean it it's a it's something that works um but you know we we would ideally prefer something that scales more right yeah, yeah. it's real it's real desperation time when you get to that point but um <laughs> i mean I, you know i think you just kind of have fun. to do everything you can think of and um and hope that something sticks yeah yeah i mean that's pretty much i feel like the indie approach almost like kind of hope that your game does well and it cements you in whatever field of game development you're in and I feel like that's a struggle that pretty much every game developer can relate to. Sure. Um, but another thing, I'm just a little off topic. Uh, what game engine did you guys use to uh, make the game? Yeah, we used Unity for this. So this was my um, first like real game using Unity 2D. And I was a little bit hesitant because uh, for a 2D game, you know, I would I thought I, I could or should use something simpler, but I had so much experience with Unity. Um, so I went with that approach and uh, pretty happy with it. it. It runs well. It took a lot of optimization, um, just general good 
game development principles, um, but Unity was able to uh, run it pretty smoothly. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, I recently made the switch over to Unity like yesterday. So, <laughs> oh, cool. What were you on like, before? Say what? What were you using before? Uh, Quick Team Fusion. I don't oh, know cool. if you ever yeah. Quick Team, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been fun to learn and use that. And then uh, just another one. Uh, what was the process of going about making the uh, game's graphics? Yeah, uh, so basically I knew that for the graphics, it just had to be anything that I was uh, capable of doing myself. So I, I really just picked the least common denominator. Uh, I had done some pixel art in the past for like random side projects um, and thought that I could do everything needed for this game. Um, but it takes like i'm not really an artist it takes me forever just to like finish up something simple like the sprites for the enemies they went through um like the little green guys that run around um they went through three different iterations all just completely different from uh, what you see on the screen now um just because like i i couldn't even it, it, i had to actually get those pixels on the screen to see, okay, what's the next iteration of this? Uh, whereas like a more seasoned artist can probably visualize it in their head and then just do it. So it took a long time. Um, and that was, you know, a lot of the, the bulk of the time after the initial game jam um, to release the, the game on the app stores. Yeah, that's... And then, going about making the game's graphics are always, you know, interesting because there's a ton of different ways to do it, so... And then just to add to that, we um, Jimmy did all the original art, and then we found um, contract artists, mostly one person, but a few different people, to build out all of the sort of big catalog that we have now. Um, so that was actually one of our biggest expenses in making the game, aside from just the two of us working for free, is we did spend several thousand dollars on contract art to build out the game. Um, and to this point, we're still working on making that back. Uh, it's you know it's one of the real challenges with um, with indie game development is anything you spend up front there's no guarantee you're going to get it back so um, you know I think we'll we'll get there but it's um, you know the 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 process of getting to the point where we could actually have you know enough free to play content that might monetize it did involve a bunch of upfront investment as well yeah that's 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 a tough one the whole breaking even thing <laughs> but uh, so also. Yeah. Just uh, I had to, I just have to make this comment real quick, kind of going along with the the art uh, art talk here. But for your sound, um, the the background music that you used uh, happens to be the exact same background music I used on my first mobile game. So no I just I had to, <laughs> had to mention that. So fantastic choice <laughs> so good. of music. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. We get so many compliments on that, and I'm I, I'm just like I wish I could say that I had anything to do with that, but I literally just found it on freesound. Yeah, <laughs> that's good stuff. So, with all the different art that you have, and all like the background stuff and all that, um, has it been difficult like getting it to all work on like all the like the multitude of different devices out there? Like, have you had any issues with like yeah. the game doesn't scale well on this random phone or, or anything like that? Yeah, no, not really. Um, I would say the the like art, the fidelity, and and the <clears throat> visual representation of it has all been pretty good. I can't think of any 
real hiccups that we ran into. Um, it was more just about coming up with the systems to uh, allow for it to be displayed, like a, a skinning system for the characters, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> making it so the backgrounds could also be skinned. And not only that, we also have interactive things that are overlaid on those skins, like all the enemies can wear hats and the goat can have sunglasses and a cape. So um, just kind of coming up with all of those things. Um, but yeah, once we did it, uh, it's pretty. It's worked pretty well on every platform. Well, it's good to it's hear. The nice thing about pixel art is it scales pretty well. Um, the the UI has been more of a challenge, just you know, making sure that it works across all sorts of different yeah. phones and iPads and stuff. Um, but the art has been pretty easy once Jimmy built sort of some systems. I think he put a lot of thought into that up front, so that's nice that that part is sort of on autopilot now. True. Yeah. Yeah. And then just a uh, quick question. How many monthly players do you guys usually have? I mean, well, now, I mean, this month, how has it been for you so far? Sure, yeah, we have a, a few thousand players a month, and that, that sort of breaks down into a couple hundred a day, basically. Um, and we cycle through, you know, a few new installs every day coming from mysterious sources, you know, some guerrilla marketing we think, thing that we did um, – you know, produces a couple of installs, you know, some, you know, occasionally there'll be a random day where we even get, you know, 50 or 100 installs from something that we did. Um, but generally, at this point, we're pretty stable at a couple hundred players a day. And a lot of them are just people who play every day who are pretty committed to it, um, which is great to have that foundation. Um, but, you know, we would love to grow. We'd love to get bigger. We'd love for everyone in your audience to try it out. So um, please do. Yeah, be sure to do that. We'll put links to the, uh, the Apple Apple Store and or whatever, whatever those storefronts are. Yeah. Google Play and yeah. App Store. We'll, yep. we'll throw some. Yeah. Links the easiest down thing is just uh, ReadySetGoat.com. If you go there, you'll find all the all the relevant links that you need. So ReadySetGoat.com. Right. Yeah, be sure to check that out, everybody. Y'all better and do it. And if it means anything uh, for me, I I personally recommend it. And I know I'm pretty sure I'd say Two Star would personally recommend it too. If if you want so, to get addicted to a game, yep. go go ahead and play it. Yes, this is your game if you want to get addicted to it. Yeah, and if you like goats, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah. Who who doesn't like goat puns? You know, seriously, yeah. can't can't you know, go wrong. I think I think people are monsters when they don't like goats. You know, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, we don't want them playing our game. Actually, I'll take them too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, are you guys uh, kind of? Do you guys have a, a roadmap for this specific game, or do you have any plans to uh, work on other indie mobile projects, or are you just kind of hoping to stick with this one for a while? Yeah. Well, so we've been kind of following just what the audience has been saying to us for um, this particular game, and originally we we're we we're just going to launch it. Um, get that kind of experience under our belt. Um, but the reception was good enough that it like warranted us revisiting and, and kind of uh, um, nurturing the app a little bit. So I think we're at a, a bit of a crossroads where we're trying to figure out, is it you know um, is it a good idea to continue to nurture this game? Um, and we, we have a small uh, small audience that's super interested in that. Um, but is that enough? So I think there's there's some things that would definitely push us over that edge like, Apple featuring in the US or Google Play featuring for whatever that's worth, but like something that can give us like a jolt that I think would bring us back into it. 
Um, but we're also definitely looking into other projects. I had mentioned even just porting it over to um, a, a Twitch game. Um, that's something that like we're, we're thinking about. Um, and also during the time of Ready Set Go's launch, I've worked on a couple of other prototypes. I did um, like a first-person um, uh, runner racer type game that's on our Instagram. There's a cool video of that. Um, and thought about some other stuff too. So it might be time to uh, to work on a different project. But Ready Set Goat will always be up on the App Store. And and if it ever gets um, you know o- over that hump and we start getting a lot of uh, users all of a sudden, I think it'll be something that we'll always maintain uh, and add more content for. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's always risky to take on new projects, but it happens. You know. Uh, and it's always something that you know you at some point everybody has to take that risk you know if if you're stable in what you do and then there's just a point where people you, you either stop it or you continue to work on um, other things and that's always interesting for people um, yeah for us for us we're also you know, there's some risk in not taking on a new project as well. I mean, we could yeah. we could continue to sink time into Ready Set Go for years. Probably we have you know plenty of ideas and a big backlog, but there's no guarantee that it's ever really going to pay for itself. Um, so ultimately, as an indie developer, I mean, you know, the the gamer side of me says, hey, let's. There's all these features I really want to do. I love playing Ready Set Go. I want to put all this other stuff in there, um, but sort of the the business side of me that says hey i need to pay my rent uh says like well you know maybe we need to try to find something um you know take what we've learned from this game and see if there's another path uh another you know idea or route or platform or something that we can do that might have a bigger upside um because that you know there's just there's no guarantee that this is going to go anywhere. You know, we, we often hear about the success stories in games and you don't hear about the failures as much, but most games fail to get traction. And if you're, um, if you're ready to commit a couple of years to something, there's still no guarantee it's going to go anywhere. So something that we have to think about and make a tough call on. Um, but it's, uh, it's kind of part of the game development space, particularly with mobile games, I think, since there's just so much uncertainty about um, whether you're really going to take off or not. Yeah, and I feel like the only reason we don't hear more uh, failure stories is because uh, if you're an indie game developer, I feel like we sometimes tend to glorify game development, you know, and want to just only look at the successes and not so much the failures of things. Like, of course, when there's an amazing success story, we always root for, you know, we don't want to... I feel like that kind of goes with everything, though. Like, you don't really want to look at the failures because you don't want that to be you, you know? So... It's kind of how I see it. Yeah, totally. Um, in terms of failure, success type things. Um, but yeah, it's always an interesting topic to talk about. Or, or if you're in the middle, I think um, I, I would, I would like to, you know, already said Goat is not a failure for sure. I think it's a success in a lot of ways in that we have a dedicated user base. You know, we people love the game, the ones that play it, you know, we get pretty consistent five-star reviews and um, and we see really good retention. We even had some monetization. So um, it's kind of one of those tough ones that a lot of, well, tough areas that a lot of games end up in where it's a, you know, it's a good game. Uh, it has a dedicated audience, but you just have no idea which direction it's going to go um, going forward. And you kind of have to make a call. Are you going to, you know, 
view it as a sunk cost and move on or are you just is the is the big opportunity right around the corner it's really hard to know yeah and i feel like in every right like in every game every has some success you know uh because you learn from it it's always a learning experience for the next project you work on and i feel like in that kind of area that's a success because as long as you're able to gain something from whatever project you're working on it's in some respect a success so I mean, that's just, I feel like, a more positive outlook on the success-failure thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is rough because, you know, you do see, I mean, probably, I don't know if I'd say the majority, but there's a lot more games that get stuck in kind of that limbo phase than, you know, make it as a successful, you know, monetarily successful uh, game. And it is... It is a tough one because, you know, you, you get to a point where, you know, you're able to make a, a game that's objectively good, you know, that people like, that people enjoy, you know, and then it's just a matter of getting more of those people. So, yeah, that's that is the the almighty challenge, I think. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Oh, well, let us let us know when you uh, when you uncover that secret. Yeah, I'd I'd love to hear that yeah. code and the, crack the, the code. cracking of the code. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else to add, two star? Um, nothing in particular. No, I I don't think so. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. I think that's an episode. Yeah. It, I don't know if there's anything oh, else well, that you guys I, wanted to. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Yeah. To plug your social media, game, any of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, so. Oh, go ahead, Eric. I was just going to say, readysetgo.com, easy to remember, um, and you'll find links to our Android, iOS, to our social media. Check that out and try the game uh, and let us know what you think. Well, awesome. Go do that. Yeah, yeah seriously, go do that. I think I might play some after this is done. So, awesome. All right, yeah. well, thank you so much, guys, for uh, for coming on. And uh, oh, I can't... Yeah, I can't talk. You. I need more water. Thank you so much for for coming on the the podcast and talking with us. It's definitely uh, interesting for me to uh, to hear the perspective of a mobile developer because I yep. I don't know much about that space. So, and hopefully that's useful for some other people listening. So, thank you very much for for talking with us. Thank you. Yep. Glad to be here. Glad to to share that info. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for listening to our episode with the Ready, Set, Goat developers. If you want to support our channel and our podcast, you can check out our Patreon where we have a $3 all-access membership with access to our Discord server where you can talk to these developers as well as early access to the episodes. And you can also listen to our other episodes with these other devs that we interviewed such as Mother, Faith, and Siren Head. The links to those will be in the description.